This is episode 13 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Marie Miller. I really loved coming up with the interventions and I loved creating um, songs based off of, you know, I would find out, oh, what's this child interested in? And then we'd have an activity that was based off of that. And um, I had this feeling one day it was, I kind of got really anxious that what if I run out of material to create? What if I can't think of what what to make for this, this next group? What if I run out of new things to bring to this group? And, and I really, I do probably 95% of my own material and maybe 5% of, you know, something I've, I've learned from someone else or that, a song that, you know, been out there. Um, before, and I had this fear of, what if I just get to this point where I can't create new things? You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In this week's episode, I talked to Marie Miller, who is a music therapist in Maine and New Hampshire. Marie has extensive experience with autism uh, prior to her music therapy education and career, and her experiences in that setting, I think, have really shaped her ability to develop and implement interventions. Marie uses tons of visuals, lots of tactile cues, uh, incorporates many domains into a single intervention. And in this episode, she walks us through how she develops those different props, how she uses them, uh, why some of them are important, all that good stuff. So I hope you enjoy that. Before we get started, though, I want to remind everyone, or if you haven't heard already, the Music Therapy Chronicles now has a Patreon page. So if you feel compelled to support the podcast in that way, please check out patreon.com slash music therapy chronicles. And if you're unfamiliar with Patreon, it's kind of like a way to subscribe or monetarily support a creator or um, something that you are feel like you're getting value out of. So for those people who feel uh, compelled to do that, I am going to start offering uh, the opportunity to ask questions to the guests on the show. So um, when I schedule an interview, I will put on the Patreon page, uh, this is the person I'm going to be talking to. Are there any specific questions you have? And that'll be a little exclusive for our Patreon sponsors. So thanks in advance for anyone who checks that out. And let's get into this week's episode.
Welcome to the podcast, Marie. Oh, thank you, Trisha. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Beautiful day here in Maine. I bet, yeah. I bet this is a really nice time of year to be in Maine, too. It is. It is. The past couple days have been a little on the warm side, but it's looking a lot nicer today. Definitely. I'm glad to hear that. So to start us off, will you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I am a board-certified music therapist working in mostly Maine at this point. Um, Also have still a few clients in New Hampshire. I um, work primarily with children um, with speech, motor, and communication challenges and um, work primarily with children on the autism spectrum. Uh, I say children, but I actually work with... um, Probably age two to 21 is my primary um, age group. So big kids too. And um, yeah, I got, I had never heard of music therapy when I got into the field. I was working in a preschool in Oregon for children with special needs. Um, Actually children, all of the children had a, a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. And in this program, I just kept seeing music working really well, but I didn't understand it. And I didn't know music therapy was a thing. And I was probably largely inspired by all the children, but there was this one child in particular, and she had such a hard time coming to school. And I found that transitions were so hard for her, but I found that if I sang a little tune, sang about what we were doing, all of a sudden, the child would take my hand and we'd go on to the next activity. And um, this child was still developing speech, but if I sang a song, she could fill in the word I left out. And I didn't know what was, I didn't know what this magic was, but I became really interested in it. And I was sitting in an in-service one day and I turned to my friend who is a special education teacher. And I said, I know what I want to do with my life. I'm going to have a, um, a music program for children with autism. And she said, Oh, well that already exists. It's called music therapy. And I was, had never heard of music therapy. So of course I went home and was just looking up everything I could about music therapy. And there happened to be a school that was only 35 minutes away. Um, sadly the school is no more, but at the time it was only 35 minutes away and I, um, went back to school and finished, um, I graduated, finished my internship in about 2013, opened a private practice in Oregon and then closed the private practice and moved to, um, New Hampshire. And now I have moved to Maine. So I've jumped around a little bit. Um, but I, I just, I'm so passionate about this field and I'm just thrilled that I found it. Yeah, me too. Cause you, uh, you put out a lot of good stuff and you're doing a lot of good work. So I'm also glad you found it. What compelled you after working in this school with the kids with autism, uh, to start a private practice instead of say, trying to get employed with a certain school or something like that? Yeah, so I think um, I think a lot of that probably come. I had an incredible supervisor, and she was in private practice. And um, my internship was at a school for children um, with autism, 
it was kindergarten through, um, well, I was, let's see, I think they, they've added on their high school now. Um, at the time, I think it was up until fifth or sixth grade. And I loved that she could, she had so much, um, I just loved how much control she had over everything that she did. And I feel that way about myself, um, in that I, I want to be able to create the program that I see, um, you know, in my heart. And, and it's, I, I feel I've, you know, I've worked with before becoming a music therapist, I worked with, um, children and teens on the autism spectrum, um, for years. I have, you know, I've only been a music therapist for five years, but I have 12 years experience. And I just felt like I had all these, um, I, I had all these ideas in my head about how I felt um, a really strong program for these kids could look like. And I, and I knew I just needed to do it exactly how it was in my head. And so private practice, it was, and, um, and it's been, it's been awesome. And I, um, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have changed a thing. It was definitely a lot of work um, starting a practice, especially starting one in Oregon and then moving it closing it down. Um, it was hard to say goodbye to clients and, um, moving, um, to the East coast. But I just, um, I, I think a lot of my drive comes from when I was working with these children in, um, the preschool program, I just saw how hard these kids had to work every single day. And most of them would go to therapies after school and, once I learned about music therapy and started going back to school for music therapy, I was so excited about um, the possibilities of creating a really evidence-based, effective program that was filled with such fun and joy and using these um, methods to, to build those skills and make it this really rich and engaging environment. And I because I knew how I want, I had worked as an employee in the schools and there's a way you need to implement everything. And, and I saw a lot of value in a lot of the programs. Um, and I also saw things that I saw that it's, I also saw things that would work for maybe a third of the children, but for everyone else, it was, it wasn't an effective, um, I saw, you know, just meltdown after meltdown, but still we had to come in and do, you know, this was the, um, this was the method, this was the program we were using. And so I saw a lot of, oh, if I had my own way of doing this, it would be this way. We could target this skill, but it would be fun. And, you know, this child's three years old and, um, it needs to be fun and engaging. So that's, um, I guess I went a little off course there, but that's why I'm in, I went into private practice right off the bat. I think that's a completely valid answer. <laughs> so, and, and it does being in private practice does give you a lot of flexibility. Um, tell us what you envision, what your program is like, and how you um, identify what each individual needs, and then your thought process for adapting to them. Yeah. So. You might need to repeat a couple of those questions. Yeah, sorry, there's <laughs> a lot in there. <laughs> <laughs> when it's not writing, I have a hard time keeping it all. We can put it in a song for me now. Okay, um, tell us about your program. <laughs> <laughs> so my program that I envision, I, um, so 
working with these kiddos, I see a lot of um, a lot of need for um, helping them learn how to regulate their bodies. And I see, you know, reducing anxiety and self teaching them these self regulation skills. And I see that that's kind of the 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 primary. Um, you know, I go into a session. Where are these kids? And where do they need to be in order to get their brains and bodies ready for learning? And so my ideal, my, my perfect program is one that is, um, I love working in schools. I primarily work in schools. I do work with some in-home one-to-one kiddos, um, but I love schools. I love that they're, you know, working, building these skills with their peers. I love that um, you can have multiple sessions in one place. <laughs> I, um, I just, I love working, um, in schools and in a group. So, um, my, my ideal, I love having, um, collaborating with, um, the, the treatment team. Um, I'm at a school with some really wonderful specialists that join the group and, you know, I'm able to, to work on the own skill, my own, um, goals that I'm targeting, but also, oh, what are your goals and how can I target this in our music therapy groups? Um, and so my my perfect program is um, a, a program that is rich in um, sensory and motor and um, visual. Like I love, I'm mildly obsessed with visuals. Um, I just so so we know music is a global experience in the brain, and it activates so many regions of our brain. And I just feel adding that that visual component of um, to increase learning and understanding and make concepts concrete. Um, I make visuals for pretty much, I'd say 98% of my songs have visuals. Um, and so a program that is sensory, motor, and largely based on, on movements, actions, and um, visuals. So getting them in that place where their bodies are calm, we do a ton of uh, sensory and regulating movements, getting them to that point where they're calm and ready for learning, and then giving them these um, multi-sensory activities. We're using visuals, we're using movements, and we're just, you know, building building skills in this such a fun and engaging way. Yeah, so you do a lot of visuals, a lot of props, and you have um, put them out on YouTube and Facebook, and you've been putting, putting that out in the internet a lot. So what's your process for determining a visual, um, developing the visual or the prop and all that kind of stuff. How do you choose to create it and integrate it in your sessions? Yeah. So I, um, so there's a little side story. Uh, when I first started, maybe it was even a year into, um, private practice, I really loved coming up with the interventions and I loved creating um, songs based off of, you know, I would find out, oh, what's this child interested in? And then we'd have an activity that was based off of that. And um, I had this feeling one day, it was, I kind of got really anxious that what if I run out of material to create? What if I can't think of what, what to make for this this next group. What if I run out of new things to bring to this group? And and I really I do probably ninety five percent of my own material and maybe five percent of 
you know, something I've, I've learned from someone else or that a song that, you know, been out there, um, before. And I had this fear of what if I just get to this point where I can't create new things. And I was, um, doing a group with a colleague and we were doing the song coming around the mountain. And, uh, there's a great book. Oh, I should have grabbed it out so I could, let me see if I can even see who it's, I can't read it from here. Um, so there's a great book and it's, it's kind of all silly versions of coming around the mountain, but it has movements with each page. So, you know, there's a squish splat and it tells you to, you know, clap your hands. And I wanted to add a, a visual component to it, but I wasn't sure what. So I just typed the words out so that the kids, cause each one is, you know, the first one is, um, and she'll whistle like a train as she speeds across the plain. She'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. Toot, toot. And, you know, you're pulling the conductor whistle. And we're saying toot, toot. So I say, oh, what if I type the words out and I put the words? So then I'm thinking as we're going through it, um, because I would love to use the book. But with a group, it's just too hard to use a book. Um, you can't play the guitar. You can't model movements. It's just too hard. The kids can't all see. So it's like, what if I print out um, a single page, laminate it, for each uh, movement and we sequence it along because they're already getting that motor sequencing. Why not add these words and the pictures? So they're really getting that, you know, that, that beginning literacy, that, that left to right, they're seeing the visual and they're doing the movement. It's just, Oh my goodness. All of a sudden it's this really rich um, experience. Whereas before it was just a song with a couple movements in it and maybe someone with a, uh, that's struggling with receptive language isn't quite even understanding what I'm singing about. Maybe they're doing the movements, but they might not be picking up on, Oh, we're singing about a train and this is, we're pretending it's the train whistle and this and that. So I, um, and then it all, it was like the kids were just glued to it. I had all these visuals and I feel like that was sort of the spark. And now I just, I bought a laminator a couple years, maybe four years ago. And it's, I mean, I just love this thing. Um, probably the best um, tool that I have, <laughs> like the best, most used tool that I have. And I create um, visuals for almost everything I do. So if I've created our most new one, our, our newest one is um, is about a dinosaur. So I, you know, and he, we're, we're looking for him. So it's all the places we go to look for him. So it's got an action for each place we travel. And it's got movements throughout, but instead of just the actions and the movements in the song, the kids are also able to visualize where's this dinosaur going. And oftentimes I'll also put large font with the words there too, um, just so they're getting all that extra, like, um, and it either will be a word we're saying in the song, but oftentimes it's, you know, okay, here's a picture of a cat. It's going to say cat underneath it. And so just building um, that, you know, building as rich of a learning environment as I can. And I found that the kids are just, you know, they, it's, they're glued to it. It's just, it makes, it makes everything a little bit more concrete and activates that visual component. So it's, it also suddenly was so easy to create anything. I mean, I, every week I'm like, Oh, let's do a song about this. And then to the computer I go. So I, um, for a long time, I was just finding images online and just, you know, telling myself what's well, education. I'm not selling these so I can be using these in education. 
But I just felt like this was such an incredible tool during music therapy, especially so you've got a single page. So you can still accompany um, and do the movement. Sometimes we're doing sign language with the pictures. So you can still, you put it, you, you've got it, you pick it up, you show it, you put it down, you've got your hands free, and then it stays there because, you know, words don't always stay there. The picture is going to stay there. So if, if they didn't catch what the, what the topic was about, um, they can, they can see it lining up right in front of them. And so I just feel, um, so I started feeling like, oh my gosh, I want to put these out there, but I can't just take all these other people's images that I've used from the internet. And because those were used in an educational setting, granted 90% of them were from creative commons, which is a wonderful resource. Um, but I felt like I couldn't just put them out in the world and say, Hey, here, these are. So I, so I got a Shutterstock account and, um, started purchasing the, um, pictures for each song on Shutterstock and also purchased the licensing so that I could say, Oh, Hey, here's this, um, song that I use, or I created this song. And here's, um, here's a stack of six visuals that go with it. This is the sign language I use with it, or this is the motor, um, the motor action. So I created these videos and with the visuals that I've, you know, going about it the right way with the Shutterstock. And, um, so we have started creating these little that you were mentioning. Yeah. These little packages, um, because I, and, and anything that doesn't have a visual or has some, a visual that I can sort of explain and say, Hey, you know, just create this picture of 10 little children. And this is the, this is what I do with it. Um, then I've been putting those on YouTube. So I just have felt it was a huge, um, um, it was huge. I just, I just probably started it maybe three or four years ago and the amount of, um, material that I felt it propelled <laughs> so much material, but also increased so much engagement in our groups and really, um, provided a visual structure for a lot of kids that rely heavily on, um, what they're getting visually. So they know that the song is, you know, they have the musical cues that, yes, this is where we are in the song, but the visuals, they know, oh, once we get to that picture, the song's done and, or we're, we're halfway done with the song and, and things like that. So, um, working with, with learners who, um, a lot of them do benefit from a large visual component. Uh, it really just has enhanced, um, the, the work that I can bring to these kiddos. Yeah, you put a, a lot of thought into developing that all together. And that that's a lot of time too to, to take to come home from your session, get this idea, develop the idea, even just the process of laminating. Sometimes I, I get to that point. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to stand at my laminator and then cut things out. And <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. But at the same time, it, I feel so I just I love this field. I love working with the kids that I work with, but I also found that it fulfills a huge creative outlet for me that I didn't know that I had or needed. I, I've always been a creative person, but never in, in this sense of, you know, creating these. Originally I had this idea to create them into actual books, but this, um, 
um, just creating a song and then creating visuals that go with it that tell help tell the story or teach the concept. Um, and then I love, I have like get my little paper cutter out and I love laminating <laughs> and I love just it, it, I would say I, I love the work. Um, but I also really, really love creating what I'm going to bring to these kids. Yeah, your passion is very evident. And and I get that. I'd say I'm at your level when I have it, it's all done. And then I'm walking into the session. And then I'm like, wow, you know, I wasn't, you know, it's creative outlet. Yeah, I probably don't enjoy creating it as much as you. But I always go into the session excited to bring something new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. So you also incorporate a significant amount of tactile uh, props in your sessions from what I've seen. So um, and you have some DIYs too. So I guess that's two parts of a question. We'll stick with what are some of your tactile props? And then we'll go into um, what are some of the ones you've made yourself? Yeah, so a lot of the tactile um, items I use during the group are usually sensory tools that I offer the kids at the beginning. Um, what sort of inspired me, I've made some weighted lap pads that um, I was really inspired. I, I was working for a school um, district that um, I would go in and there were a lot of kids in one classroom. Um, I saw a lot of, you know, dysregulation, a lot of anxiety, and um, they didn't have really the budgeting for to offer these students um, sensory tools, which in my past I had seen really effective offering kids um, something to hold, offering um, these weighted lab pads that um, I made actually my DIY weighted lab pads. I was considering buying some. And then I um, saw how much they cost and I knew I wanted to make a large amount so that anyone who wanted one during the group um, could have access to them. So I found these really cheap cornhole bags on Amazon. So not only, did, and I got the, the polyfill so that you could actually put them through the washing machine. Some are filled with like corn or seeds or beans or something. So these were polyfill so they could be washed. And I was like, oh my goodness, there's a there's a bag that's already been sewn with items in it. I am not much of a sewer. Um, luckily, my um, sister helped me quite a bit with the sewing machine. And I went over to her house and I had all these cornhole bags and I had bought fabric, some of it textured, like bumpy, soft fabric and other just like plain or, you know, kind of fabric that I liked. And I made a few different types. So I made some really long ones that could go over a child's shoulder. And I made some that could go on the lap. And the first couple times I brought this in, well, I had one little guy who wanted to have all of them on him. And he really had a hard time sitting still through music therapy or really through mo most of his day. He was three years old. And he just, just kind of settled. And from then on, I've just always kind of brought them with me and just it's an incredible difference when you give these kids the, the, you know, tools to help them kind of regulate their body. And another one that I'll bring to groups is, um, I want to say it's the, there's all sorts of, they're actually exercise discs, I think, but, uh, it's a sensory cushion. Um, I always call it a, a wobble cushion or a bumpy cushion on one side. It's, it's textured with bumps and the other side is smooth. And, 
I love the sensory cushion for a couple different reasons. One, because it really helps weekly bodies. It helps um, build that core. But also, it provides the opportunity of instead of saying, you need to sit down or sit down, you can say, oh, do you want to sit on the bumpy side or the smooth side? Or do you want to sit on the carpet or the wobble cushion? And all of a sudden, like magic, you know, when we provide kids a choice, um, we're building their autonomy and also we're avoiding a power struggle. And the kids have that sense of autonomy. They're, oh, I get to choose, you know, you still got to sit, but you, you can choose, you know, obviously we don't say that, but, um, but they can choose what they, so I love the wobble cushion for those. And, you know, the, the bags works the same way, really that, oh, oh, do you want to sit with um, a lap pad or do, or no lap pad? And so, yeah, I've really loved those. And I've, I've, I've recently become even more into props to support what I'm teaching because I, I now have two, um, two kiddos that I work with, um, one with a cortical visual impairment, um, which is, um, an impairment where your, your, your brain is having a hard time deciphering what you're looking at. So, um, kids can actually, you know, get to a, a, a higher range where they can, they can, um, kind of learn to learn to see if that makes sense. And, and then one child who, um, has a visual impairment. And so I've started using a lot more like, how can I, so I'm so huge on visuals and, but how can I support these kids? So I've started putting braille on mini visuals, um, for, my, she has some vision, so she's got her mini visual that she can hold up close, and um, then she can work on the braille as well. And then for, um, and I've also been including props, like, oh my goodness, so I've got a song about a gorilla, and okay, look, I've got this gorilla, and I also have this little, um, like a banana that they, so so props that can, can help paint that, paint, or help um, give that tactile, understanding of of what we're talking about yeah I uh I have one of those wobble cushions like you said and I actually I use it a lot for myself in my sessions where no one else needs it but I'm sitting on the floor because I was finding that at the end of the day if I had a lot of sessions where I sat on the floor my hip flexors were just so tight and just having that cushion to support me a little bit more was is very helpful so if anyone's like thinking about getting that even if you know it's good for the clients but it's also good for you <laughs> yeah it's it's awesome I wish I could um I don't use them as much I use them more in one-to-one -one, um mm -hmm. sessions and I did have a group where I would bring two and it wasn't a huge issue, but a lot of times if you bring something that looks as cool as a wobble cushion and you don't have, you know, 10 of them, it just creates a little bit of an issue. <laughs> that was one of my thoughts. Um, so is there, from your prior experience in the school working with lots of kids with autism, is there like a singular prop or visual or something that music therapists don't tend to think of that you do think of because of that prior experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah. makes total sense. I really feel like I did gain, um, I feel like that was such an, um, a beneficial stepping stone for me into music therapy because I feel like I use so much from my training. And I think the 
the the item that has been most beneficial, I would say, is a visual schedule um, and or a visual timer. It um, I started out because I had never seen other music. I you know I I hadn't seen the picture schedule used in music therapy, um, and I'm sure it was being used. And I know um, my wonderful supervisor, she would have a written list for some of the older classes. And I, I didn't use it right away. And I had one kiddo who I worked with one-to-one and for about a year, really strong engagement, really great, um, good participation. And then after about a year, I suddenly started seeing you know, behaviors and what, you know, and I'm sitting here trying to figure out what, why, you know, what's going on here. So when I enter wobble cushion, but then I created for him a, um, visual, uh, visual schedule. And at the beginning of our music therapy session, we would go over the visual schedule and it was, like magic. So then of course I was like, okay, well now I need to make a visual schedule for everything I do. And it really, I see kids, um, come into the session and scan the schedule for, um, what's, what are we doing today? And I see kids, you know, that start to get a little antsy and some kids will just look and see, okay, there's, and I always have the timer set up right next to it. And I always have the visual schedule and okay, look, I've only got two more things left or, Um, or look, there's, there's only, there's only six minutes left. Like I can do it. And it really has alleviated so much anxiety and just helps kids prepare for what's coming. So those are probably, um, and just using more visuals in general probably has been something I've, I've, um, carried over from, from working in school. Yeah, those are really helpful. So here's a question I have, and I wonder some of our listeners have. How do you carry all of this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> so it's surprisingly, um, the visuals get really heavy, actually. Um, so I now have, you know, those accordion folders. Mm-hmm. And so I have a file cabinet that has, you know, I probably have somewhere between 70 and 100 Songs with visuals. My so eyes I, just popped out of my head for the listeners. <laughs> I have a lot, and some are really simple. Some are, you know, I just have a folder of shapes, and some are, I just have this folder of um, this is the counting song that we do in the winter. And this is, you know, so not all of them are these like six to eight page, um, but a lot of them are like a six to eight page pack of visuals that go along with the song. And um, so I have this accordion folder that I, you know, will fill at the beginning of the day and organize by, you know, the groups. And it's actually quite heavy, but it doesn't take up a lot of space. (laughs) And um, so, so I have a wagon, a collapsible wagon that I keep in my trunk. And so on days where I know, okay, I need for this group, I need four weighted lap pads um, and the the weighted lap pads are really, really heavy, but they're kind of amazingly, I feel like Mary Poppins, they fit in this small like canvas bag. And um, so I do, I 
it, it, you, my wagon sometimes ends up rather large, but on other days, it's just all can fit in a couple bags with my guitar, but I do use a wagon. Very cute. It's funny. I think sometimes we commonly get, oh, it's the guitar lady or, you know, the guitar man. Well, yeah. Um, but it, I always feel like the bag lady because yeah. <laughs> I have my guitar and then I have a bag on one shoulder and like yeah. I might be have a rolling bag and yeah. yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend a wagon. You definitely get some looks, but it really is a back and shoulder saver. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed last winter there were a couple weeks where I was thinking, why is my lower back so tight? And one day I was walking to a session and realized I was walking sideways. And I was like, well, this is why. This is why my back is tight. (laughs) So what is um, kind of the reverse of two questions ago? What is something you as a music therapist tell or would tell staff at a school, teachers at a school, um, a tool they can use? Um, So, well, I, um, so are you, uh, sorry, are you asking during a session? Anything, during, before, after, if they ask, any advice that you'd give a teacher? Okay, yeah, so, so, so I'll, I'll answer that in two parts. So during a session, um, I really try to kind of uh, model most of what I'd like for, for, prompting, um, and that is minimal, uh, minimal prompting. And every so often I'll say, oh, well, let's, let's see, uh, you know, if blah, 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 will um, let's see if he'll try it on his own this time. Um, I, I see a lot of, um, hand over hand. And so it's, and, uh, really wonderful, wonderful. I feel every place I go, I have, there's such amazing staff. I feel really lucky. Um, I absolutely love the staff everywhere I go and the professionals, the teachers, the treatment team, everyone has been so engaging. So it's, it's really minimal during the session. Um, but so then, um, little tips and tricks that I'll, I'll tell either families or, um, if, you know, a teacher say, well, that's working so well. So I love, um, using music for transitions and I often am telling my family is like, oh, have you have you tried, you know, creating a little tune just to prep? Um, I love using a visual to cue what's coming next. You know, maybe a kiddo's not ready for a visual schedule. Um, maybe they just need that transitional object. Like here, this is where we're going, or this is what's going to happen next. Um, we're and and having that that clue of okay no it's okay we're going we're going here and having that that piece that makes sense that object or or picture that shows what's going to happen um so that's that's another thing that I'm a a huge proponent on is is providing the kids that predictability and that and that structure and in using music I love you know encouraging teachers and parents to to use music and to use those I have um people tell me fairly frequently, oh, we used your, um, you know, your, your calm down song, or we used like your, your, we did your version of bear hunt. And it, it, you know, it was great. The kids were loving it. Like all the actions and the movements and the padding and the singing, or, um, like we used that, that, uh, uh, movement song to kind of get going and rein the class in. So I've, 
feel it's more of um, just demonstrating with a little tidbit here of like, oh, that, you know, that I have found that that works. That's really helpful. And um, so I, I have a, um, a I, I do work with a couple adults and I have um, helped create some in home, um, you know, rhythmic exercises to help with, you know, speech or motor that um, staff has just taken and run with, which has been awesome. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I, I think don't, so. Oh, I, I don't know. I, so, I'm also a lead by example person. Yes, so okay. I totally get that. And I, it's, it's really hard for me to get out of my comfort zone and say, you know, very simple, let's give Johnny a chance to try. You know, sometimes yeah. I feel really uncomfortable saying that, but it is so true and important that our yeah. clients have that advocate and get that yeah. opportunity somewhere. Yep. And that is so just important for making those neural connections. They need to do it themselves. They're, you know, that, that hand over hand, um, you know, I try to, to as minimal prompting as possible so that the child can, you know, work on building that skill and not always have, you know, and it, it raises anxiety when someone's holding your arm. and <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Yes, but that 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 is hard because you know everyone everyone is doing their best and doing what they um, have learned and understand to be you know they they want to help these kids succeed. Yeah. But sometimes it's like oh wait wait hold back just a little. <laughs> yeah, I've even had staff say to me um, something to the effect of <clears throat> excuse me like they they almost feel it's a waste of my time for me to. Um, do do whatever and then give the processing time the staff feels like uh, it, you know they need to prompt because it's not happening and, and it, yeah it's really important to just say to them like no that's okay it's it's a challenge and we're giving space for the challenge and that's that's what I want you know I don't want everything to just be well they already know how to do a b and c so we're only going to do a b and c yeah. And even five seconds of processing time, mm -hmm. that feels like a really long time to people. And I definitely am someone who feels that compulsion to, to, to keep something moving or to fill a space yeah. when everything is, has stopped. And that was a big thing, um, for, in my, you know, internship and, you know, becoming a music therapist was it's okay feel how long five to 10 seconds is. Mm -hmm. That is how long you should be letting these kids have for processing time. And it was really hard to do, especially um, with that instinct to not feel like you were leaving the child high and dry, worrying you were going to lose their engagement. But in so many um, instances, there would be that, you know, one, two, that feels like such a long time. Yes. And then all of a sudden there would be the sign language or there would be the vocalization or there would be, you know, putting the shaker in the drum, you know? So, so, um, it was one of those things where, okay, I know it's true, but then as you start to see it, you're like, okay, I believe it. Now I need everyone that also may feel that need to, to, to help. Cause we don't want to leave a kid high and dry and we don't, and we want to see them be successful, but we have to know that giving them the processing time is how we're going to help them be successful. Yeah. I also find that um, 
documenting, even if it's not the specific goal, but documenting the decrease in processing time is a great way to show progress that, um, you know, some some other professionals I work with don't necessarily I don't say they don't think of it, but they they don't they don't do that. And to show that uh, it used to take them 30 seconds to do this thing, but now it's taking them 10 that's really yeah. significant. And yeah. So, you know, yeah, sitting there for 30 seconds four months ago was really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. I just was talking about this today. Um, I was in um, one of my groups and I was um, afterwards, I was um, chatting with the teacher and the occupational therapist and I was saying, oh my gosh, can you re- can you believe blah, blah, blah's processing time? Um, whereas previously this child would be, um, doing the sign language, um, and it actually was incredible, her, her memory for the, the, the patterns and the movements, but doing the sign language, but she'd always be a step or two behind because she needed that four or five seconds additional processing time. And today doing one of the songs she was right with me. And we even introduced a new song with sign language um, last week. And and she was spot on with some of the signs today. And that just seeing that processing time um, decrease. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful that uh, you were able to facilitate that experience and that the rest of the staff was also able to see it that's I find those moments really fulfilling too I like being able to see it myself um, but I feel like for a lot of people they have to see music therapy to get it and those are the moments where I'm like you you can't miss that it's it's right in front of you yeah yeah totally all right are you ready to move into some rapid fire questions I am all righty The questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. (laughs) We'll start with coffee or tea. Coffee, but I also really like tea. (laughs) I just, I definitely coffee, but I also like tea in the winter. I love hot beverages. Mm -hmm. I always try and have one in my car for between clients because it also helps with just like self-care for your, your throat and singing it all day and... Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of rituals too. So I think, you know, possibly largely the caffeine in the morning for coffee, but I love the ritual of getting up, coming downstairs, opening all the windows, you know, six o'clock in the morning, all the birds are chirping, making that coffee, that ritual and kind of the same thing in the like cooler months, like that ritual of like in the evening, you know, making my tea and just, you know, I'll, I'll maybe by the third cup, I've used the same bag and it's just hot water at that point. But <laughs> it's just that ritual, I think. And just kind of a comp- I love just drinking things, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, and living in um, the more northern climates in the winter, I think definitely adds to that experience. Yeah. Yes, that could be it as well. Yeah, I get that. Early bird or night owl? Definitely early bird. <laughs> I... um. I can't really stay awake at night past like 10 o'clock. So definitely an early bird. That's helpful for working in the schools. It is. It is. And morning time is my favorite time. And it's my, it's my, you know, everyone has like optimal brain time. And mine is six to 10 in the morning. And that is my time where I'm creating things and 
I'll make all my visuals and I'll run up and I don't know, eight o'clock in the morning, get my laminator heated up and <laughs> drink my coffee with my laminator. That sounds like a ritual too. <laughs> yes. And, and and that could have something to do with it too. I, I just love the whole process of kind of creating that kind of coming up with, okay, these are my goals. These are the things this child or this group are interested in, motivated. This is, um, and, and how can I, how can I make that? So I think that you're right. I think it's a, like that whole ritual too. And then getting my little paper cutter out, a laminator, got my coffee. <laughs> Beautiful. Something that you would tell your younger self. So I think in terms of um, music therapy, I think, um, I guess that's not that much younger because <laughs> I've only been a music therapist for five years. Um, I think, um, and maybe this, uh, who, let's see, maybe this will end up being something I could have told my younger non-professional self too. But I think um, what something I really struggled with right off the bat was, um, and I think what it comes down to is the people who were watching. So the two things that I struggled with were um, setting boundaries, um, setting boundaries with the kids that I worked with. And my internship supervisor was really big on setting boundaries and it was really, really hard for me. Um, I didn't, I, I really had a hard time putting my foot down, setting the structure saying, this is what we're doing now. And, you know, or, or, um, uh, or, you know, you picked this and we're going to complete it and, or you need to be on your cushion before the song starts or no, we're not taking all the bars off the xylophone right now. You know, those types of things, I had such a hard time putting my foot down with kiddos and not, not, I shouldn't say putting my foot down, but setting those boundaries and those expectations for this is, this is what happens in here. Yeah, we're going to have fun. Um, but I found that once I did start setting boundaries, so much growth happened. And I just saw this, you know, kids, they want boundaries, you know, they want to feel, and they push them because they want to feel like, and, and as soon as they understand this is what we do, this is the boundary, this is um, this is the structure of the session, I saw anxiety reduction, I saw behavior, like a reduction in behaviors throughout the session because they knew it was expected of them and they knew I was going to be firm on that. I think there's a lot of uneasiness that comes with inconsistency that when you, when you give them that consistent, I'm always going to have the same answer for this. No, this is never allowed. You know, no, I'm, this isn't, this isn't, um, climbing the shelf is not a silly thing right now. You know, like just being really firm and setting those boundaries. And that was hard, especially working in home, because when you first start setting boundaries, you may have tears, you may have, um, some, a child getting upset as they work on like understanding this is, this is what is acceptable. And, <clears throat> and this is what's not. And so, <clears throat> pardon me. Yeah, I definitely experienced that too as a new professional. So, so that, and then, and then the second, um, the second part would sort of, I think also comes into play with being, um, being observed, I guess, by, by staff or by a parent, um, was setting the bar high enough, um, so that you really are, you know, these kids are really growing and they're really achieving. And, I think that um, setting the bar, knowing that what you're bringing, you know, 
that it is backed by evidence and that, yeah, maybe the first day, maybe the first week, maybe the first month, something may have minimal participation. But you know that you're, that all the tools are there. You know, there is a strong rhythm base. There is movement. The, the, the brain and body is activated. We're activating um, these centers. We know that, you know, the, these kids with the amount of time they're going to start. So, so some of the things I've brought in before, I just get these looks like what <laughs> these kids can't do this, but then in a month, I mean, it's, they're doing it or maybe not a month, maybe two weeks they're, they're doing it. And they're, um, I've raised the bar. So, so not only are they, they building this skill because I knew that they could do it and, um, gave them the tools to do it, but they're also, you know, they're just, they're, they're growing and they're feeling that sense of pride. Like this was something that was hard and now I can do it. So that just builds self-esteem and they, you know, I've just initially, it was really hard for me to bring something in and not see immediate participation. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe one or two children would participate the whole time, but feeling like, okay, uh, did, is this too hard? But I think that that's one thing that I would have told myself five years ago, you know, set the bar. And luckily, you know, I, I, I learned it fairly soon on that if I just stuck with it um, and I just kept, you know, being consistent with how I was presenting it and what I was expecting that within three sessions, there was, you know, 80% participation. And, you know, within a month we had everyone. And now so some of those things that were so hard, some of the kids that um, um, some of the, the kids that it was most challenging for, um, maybe they just needed extra time to watch it or extra time to process it. Because those are the kids that they get so excited when they see it on the schedule. They are, you know, participating in every movement. They're, you know, vocalizing or, or using a talker device or, you know, using sign language. And, and so like such strong participation. And I would have told myself long, like, no, I guess, you know, I keep saying back, you know, I've only been a music therapist for five and a half years. Um, but I would have started setting that bar right off the bat. So, so raising the bar and setting those boundaries. Um, but I think that is something I really wanted to share in case there's someone out there that is just getting going and could benefit from setting those boundaries, you know, setting healthy boundaries. It really, and you are, it, it saves a mountain of energy when you set the boundaries and you work so much less because you're not working on managing these um, behaviors that in a, in a group, it's not okay. You know, and once kids learn that it's just, you know, everything is just falls into place. <laughs> yeah. Those are really good ones. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes things are unpredictable, but those are, those are really good tidbits. Your music therapy elevator speech. So I, it's so funny because I always find it comes up in a very similar manner, how people at, I, it's not that often that someone sees me with my guitar and says, Oh, what do you do? Because I work primarily in schools where they are aware that, you know, I'm going to come to your classroom, I'm a music therapist, and this is what we're going to do. Um, so I'm not usually I know a lot of people um, in other settings, um, medical settings, and other settings where people see them out and about with their instruments, and like, whoa, what do you do? So I feel the most common setting is I'll be talking about 
um, driving someone or some, or someone will say, Oh, I, I was just driving up through this town and I'll say, Oh, I, I work there as well. Or no, what do you, and they'll say, Oh, what do you do there? And I, and I'll say, well, actually I'm only there this day of the week. I work in a variety of settings. Um, I work with children, um, with speech communication and motor challenges. So I, I typically say that first only because I feel like there is somewhat of a misunderstanding of music therapy. So I, I always kind of front load with the who I work with. And I'll say, oh, I work in a variety of settings. I work, you know, in special education and and in home. Um, I'm a music therapist. And so then they'll say, oh, wow. You know, and, and I'll say, yeah, yeah. So I, um, and they'll say, oh, that's, that's, that's really neat. Or maybe they know what music therapy is, and maybe they don't. And that's my kind of opportunity to, you know, if it's not just a conversation in passing, but I'll get to the opportunity to say, yeah, so I, you know, I work with children. Um, I work with a lot of children on the autism spectrum and I, I get to use music to, to help build skills. So I'll say, you know, I work side by side with a treatment team. You know, I'm, I collaborate with speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists and a classroom teacher to um, help build skills and um, with, you know, a rhythm based program. So, and I'll give them a little more information if they're, if they're looking for more information, um, kind of go through some examples, but I usually do start with, oh yeah, I work with, you know, I either say, oh, I work with children with special needs or, oh, I work with, um, children with speech motor communication challenges. That's a good way to approach it. Population (laughs) first client or yeah, client centered elevator pitch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Client-centered. I just, um, I think that saying who I work with provides the opportunity to, to avoid someone guessing at what you do, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I have found, you know, I'm a music therapist. Oh, so what is that? Is that, um, and, you know, and, you know, I would be curious if I heard of a field that I didn't, um, didn't, wasn't familiar with. And, and if you're not familiar, music therapy could sound like, oh, yeah, I just come in and I press a press a button on the CD player and let the music do the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't they have iPods for that? <laughs> yes. Your favorite self-care practice? Well, I would say favorite self-care. I love being outside. And um, I would say, so a weekly not a daily self-care, but a weekly is I love getting out um, outside, especially on the water. My husband and I just bought a house in Maine and we live really close to a um, boat launch. And we were so excited, except that we had no boats. <laughs> but we were so excited. We were like, oh my goodness, we're two minutes from the boat launch. We don't have any boats, but someday we'll have a boat. And then the boat ferry, like, I, it was amazing. We somehow by a stroke of luck and maybe being near a boat launch, um, we were gifted three different boats. So we have a tandem kayak, a canoe, and a small motorboat. Wow. <laughs> the canoe actually came strapped on top of the motorboat. It was <laughs> a two for one that we were just gifted. So so we've been, um, my husband and I have been just getting out um, on the water every week, which is amazing. So that's a huge um, self-care is just getting outside. Um, we love hiking with our dog. She's older now, so hikes are becoming... It's a little slower, a little more like nature walks than hikes. Um, but uh, yeah, so self-care. And then on a, on, a, on a 
daily or maybe not every day, but um, just that kind of mental, like, uh, I love, you know, in, in the mornings I get up really early and I like to just spend that first. So I feed my animals at seven. And so I spend that first, um, like, uh, the first little bit when I get up doing my session plan and then I just sit and I let myself have whatever time is left to have my coffee with the windows open and just kind of just enjoy. There's so many birds. So that's a huge kind of little time chunk for me. Sometimes it's only 15 minutes. Um, and then feed the animals and start getting everything prepped for the day. And, um, so also I really love just kind of zoning out to a Netflix show or like a book on tape, something that's just totally like get your mind off it. So that's a, that's a self care for me. (laughs) Netflix (laughs) and books on tape. Very relaxing to have someone read to you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I switch in the car between clients, between podcasts where I'm learning something and then um, a fiction book where I can have it going in the background. Oh, so relaxing. I have a hard time doing them when I'm driving because I feel I can't um, really, um, I forget what, what's happening in the book, (laughs) but I love like coming home and just sitting on the couch and, starting my book on tape and just zoning out and just listening to the book. It's very relaxing. Good one. Something that is currently adding value to your life. Um, probably these boats. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely um, having such access to the outdoors. Um, we used to live on a really busy street. So for the past three years, um, we were in a tiny apartment. At the time, we had two large dogs, sadly down to one, um, one dog, one cat. Um, But we lived in this tiny apartment on this really fast street. And I felt like my outdoor time, which was dog walks, was I lost that. And so um, it was so stressful walking down, you know, Route 101 and having cars whiz by you and hoping that you scrunched your dogs in tight enough. And so I just feel like our new location, we're on f- five and a half acres of wetland behind us, is adding immense value. Just having a peaceful place where I can walk my dog and, you know, we just get outside a lot. So that's definitely probably the largest factor right now, adding value. Beautiful. <laughs> what is your current favorite intervention or song to use in a session? That's so hard. I was thinking it might be with your uh, 70 to 100 folders of visual. So, yeah, there's there's so many. Um, but I I was thinking, oh, well, I want to share one that someone can easily like look up and be like, oh, I want to use this. Um, I've been listening to your podcast. So I've been Thanks prepped. For listening. For, I've been prepped for a lot of these. I don't like being unprepared for things. Um, you should see the notes I have in front of me. Probably um, half of them I have not even touched on. Um, we'll do another episode then. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, you know, when you were asking that question to, to at the ends of your other podcast, and I was thinking, um, you know, oh, well, this one's my current, usually my favorite is, you know, whatever is the new one that's getting this like good response. Um, but I would say one that um, I learned from someone else. Oh my goodness. I'm going to try to think of her name. She writes kids music for children. Is it Mary Rice? I think it is Mary Rice. And she has a song, 
Matilda the Gorilla. And I have gotten so much use out of that song. I love it so much. And I, um, of course, have added sign language. So um, we do the sign language for Gorilla. We do the sign language for Banana and Tree. And they're one of my... so. Why I love this intervention is because there are opportunities in the song for everyone in the group. So someone who is just beginning to vocalize, the chorus just sings, ooh, ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, ah. So we're, um, and then I'm doing the, you know, um, only you can see me right now, but I'm showing the, um, the, the, the um, visual cues for mouth shape. Um, so we'll do ooh, ah, and um, so it has that section for kids that are um, pre-verbal, developing some um, some speech. It has um, sign language. Well, it doesn't have sign language, but I added in sign language um, for uh, motor imitation and, and adding that motor piece and for, for kids that are developing um, that form of communication. And of course I made visuals for each one and it's such a sweet story. It's about a gorilla. I had to change some of the lyrics because um, she, in the original song, they sent her to the circus. So I of course had to rewrite it and she goes to the jungle and um, didn't want to send her to the circus. That was too sad. So um, I, yeah, Matilda the Gorilla. And at some point, so I've been starting to put some of the songs that I'm like, oh, I get so much. I just love this song. So I've been starting to put some of those on YouTube. And that's one I hope to put on just sort of how I do it. Um, I can't um, I can't put the visuals on, but people create their own visuals. <laughs> but um, I, that's probably the one that I've gotten the most leverage out of. And then also I love I always keep it in my back pocket and it's one of my supervisor. I, she was wonderful. Emily Ross. I, and it's one she kept in her back pocket all the time was Raffi's something in my shoe. And I love that part too, because, um, I love that song because it's a motor sequencing and, um, verbal sequencing. So you're sequencing the word and the action with each verse. And it's also a silly song. And there's a, there's a, um, you know, he keeps, he keeps getting something in his shoe. And so the first thing is a little wee stone, clap, clap. The second thing is a bouncing ball, boing, boing. And so I always have that in my back pocket with like, oh gosh, there's three minutes to go. I don't use visuals for it. I I need something that is going to be engaging. There's a song for vocalize. There's a portion for vocalizing where he's making this, like does this like little like mouth trumpet thing, which I'll do, but then I'll do, and I will say, or... Uh, 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 and do it um, just vocalizing it on, on an open vowel sound because the mouth trumpet thing is a little hard for children and I want it to be successful. So, um, and it also has this like walking portion so we can get their feet moving, um, walking down the street. And I, so that's another one that is uh, someone else's song that I use all the time. Thank you, Rafi. Um, I just a great short song to have it and you know what he has some great chord progressions um it's really interesting so it's it's one of those ones that is like oh this this is just so nice <laughs> awesome those are great and i will uh find them and link them so everyone can also find them but keep a lookout for marie's video with yes. matilda the gorilla yes and please if you do matilda to the, the gorilla send her to the jungle <laughs> 
I like that. Not too. circus. <laughs> yeah, it's I, that's a, an interesting, not interesting, an important side note that um, sometimes we do change the lyrics. I when I use how far I'll go from Moana, the part where they say, what is wrong with me? I, I sing, will you sing with me? I Things like that, you know, just changing yeah. little pieces that can have a significant impact. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So for Matilda, the gorilla, um, we always sign gorilla and uh, her, she, they don't, she's, she's not really where she's supposed to be. She's, she, um, she's in a park. She's, um, she's someone's pet. And then, you know, a young man comes along and he says, Matilda, I know where you belong. I'll put you in the jungle to sing your song. And, but in the original, they'll put her in the circus. I'm like, wait a second, that seems worse. <laughs> so yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Put her, put her in the jungle. Good adaptation. <laughs> awesome. So lastly, where can people find you and to find Matilda the Gorilla? Yeah, so I um, am uh, somewhat new to YouTube, but I do have a few of the um, motor songs that I like up there. And I actually have three more recorded that I just need to edit and put up there. Um, so I have those on my website. I've started, so um, the songs with visuals that I've been creating. I'm slowly starting to um, uh, purchase the visuals from Shutterstock and um, create these little packages. So those are all on my website, um, rhythmandstrings.com. And um, on my website also there's links to uh, my Facebook page and Instagram and the YouTube link is also there. Um, I would love it if you came and said hi on any of those platforms. Um, relatively, I wouldn't say new, but relatively active on social media. And I really kind of dove into it probably, I don't know, maybe six to eight months ago of, you know, I need to be more active on social media. And I've just loved the communities I've found there. I didn't realize how many different groups there are out there. I've joined groups for cortical visual impairment and groups for autism and groups for music therapy. And you just get to see all these discussion pages and see what's going on and people adding research. And so, um, so yeah, I've recently dove into social media, which has been pretty, pretty great. Awesome. It's great that it's being used in such a positive way. And I'm going to plug, we have a Facebook group too. So if you want to discuss this episode or pick Marie's brain, then find her on any of those groups, but also on the Music Therapy Chronicles Facebook group. <laughs> awesome. I'm in that group as well. Thank you. Thanks for being in the group. Thank you for making the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. You are a library of resources. <laughs> well, and, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Have a wonderful day. Hope thank that you. you get out on the water this weekend. Oh, thanks so much. You too, Trisha. Bye. Bye-bye.
After talking with Marie, I feel like we need another conversation at least for me to get just a little tidbit of all the ideas she has in her brain. I was not kidding when I said she is a library. I wish I could just go to her office and check out her files and her interventions and um, I'm really looking forward to when more of her stuff is accessible online and being able to go there for some inspiration when I need it. She definitely has such a passion for what she does and is a great resource for thinking of ideas and ways to expand an intervention, make it deeper, uh, make it more accessible for more individuals in the group and I think that is an awesome attribute and very important skill to have as a music therapist. Thank you so much for listening again to this week's episode and if you or someone you know or someone you'd like us to reach out to <laughs> to be on the podcast, please send us an email at feedback at musictherapychronicles.com and that'll go directly to me and I'll get back to you <laughs> or reach out to the person you would like to hear on the podcast. Your support is always appreciated and we'll see you in the next one.